Jesus, I am so weak and humbled before you because I can't measure up to any of your standards. And each one of us, God, is just broken uh, and bankrupt spiritually in our own. Lord, we have um, addictions and we have tendencies and we have failures in our past and the enemy just speaks into our lives that we uh, are not worthy. And it is absolutely true that we are not worthy. But Jesus, your love and your grace and your blood, they change that reality for us and for me. And so we enter your presence today based on what you have done, Jesus, for us, not based on who we think we are or what we think we deserve. Jesus, you are our rescuer and you are everything for us. I'm so uh, just glad we were able to sing those songs this morning about how God, you are everything that we need, and we are dry bones without you, and uh, you are the life in us. So God, I pray that you would be the life in this talk this morning about uh, the tabernacle, and Jesus, we, we want you to make it an alive thing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay. I'm going to recap a little bit what we've been going through. We're going to be in Exodus 26, verses 15 through 30. We're going to be learning about the boards and the sockets of the tabernacle. And uh, we're going to learn that redemption is the foundation for every part of our relationship with God through this uh, thing. So we've been learning about the tabernacle, which is basically uh, a tent. Uh, well, the tent covers the tabernacle. The tabernacle is, is boards and, and it's it's curtains, and, and inside the tabernacle, God would hang out. It was his place where he dwelled or lived on earth with his people, and, and the place he lived on top of was the Ark of the Covenant, and that Ark of the Covenant we saw was a big picture of who? Jesus. 32 Jesus points for you guys. All right. The Ark of the Covenant was Jesus, and every other part of the tabernacle has to do with who? Jesus. So as a church in the New Testament era, we live in Denver in 2018. It is very important for us to study the tabernacle so that we can learn about our Savior, Jesus. He, is, he lives inside us. He sent his spirit to live inside us. The glory that lived over the, the, the Ark of the Covenant and is the Shekinah glory of God, and it, and it was all there. It lives in us right now. We have that. If you're a believer, if you have accepted Christ in him uh, and put your faith and trust in him, that same glory is in you. And, and that same blood that was, that was sprinkled on the, the, the Ark of the Covenant is sprinkled on you right now, and you have become the tabernacle of God. The, his dwelling place on earth is now you. So studying this is really important for us. And uh, as we've studied, we've, we've gone through, uh, the, God starts in chapter 25 with the innermost part where the Holy of Holies was, where the uh, Ark of the Covenant, and then he goes out and we, get, we got to the table of showbread, talking about how Jesus was our bread, and we got to the, the, the light, which was coming from the um, menorah, and that's talked about how Jesus was our light, and the whole thing, the curtains above, which talked about Jesus, every single part has been Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And so today we're going to get to the boards, and it has nothing to do with Jesus. Just kidding. That was totally wrong. I was going to see if anyone was sleeping already. No, it's going to be all about Jesus, right? Okay, so I'm going to say a statement. The gospel is good news for sinners. And I want you to turn to your neighbor and discuss why the gospel is good news for sinners for two minutes. Just talk about it. So the gospel is good news for sinners, and you guys kind of discussed that and worked through a lot of the different aspects. And uh, I would put out there also that it's not good news for good people or people who don't have a need for God's help. Jesus came and said, I, I, I came to, like a doctor, heal the sick, but I can't, I, I can't heal someone who won't even acknowledge that they're sick. I didn't come to heal the well. I came, I came to heal the sick. Now, nobody is well. We're all sinners, you know, but not everybody knows that and not everybody feels it. In fact, I wake up a lot of mornings and I don't feel my need for Jesus. And that's a problem. It is a problem for me because I have become callous through pride. 
We all do. Just moment by moment, just living in this world, we are so inundated with self-sufficiency. You can do it. You don't need, and it's just the, the voice of the enemy going every, every day in our ears saying, you don't need God. You don't need his word. You don't need his spirit. You don't need his living water. But I bet after a few days of that, I get convinced, and maybe you do too, that I do need it. Because I become a craggle-faced jerk. I, I, I become so dry spiritually. I become so self-centered. And, and it's just ugly what comes out of me when I, am not fi- when I don't sense my need for his life. Does anyone else have that same experience? Yeah, we need him. We need him so much. And, and uh, as we look at these, uh, this text today, that's our introduction. It's just, oh my gosh, we need Jesus. We need him so much. We are not okay spiritually. We need a source of life that does not come from me. I need a source of life that I don't produce because everything I produce ends up broken, ends up messed up. And I don't, I don't want that life. And, and luckily, God has provided something for us so that we don't have to live by our own resources. So we're going to read our text, and you're going to be like, what does that have to do with anything you just talked about? And then we'll, we'll, we'll make the connections as we go along. So Exodus 26, verse 15. And for the tabernacle, you shall make the boards of acacia wood standing upright. Ten cubits shall be the length of a board, and a cubit and a half shall be its width of each board. Two tenions uh, or sockets, shall be in each board for binding one another. And you shall make for the boards of the tabernacle. Thus you shall make them. Verse 18, And you shall make the boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side, and you shall make 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards, and two sockets under each of the boards for its two tenions. And the second side of the tabernacle and the north side shall be 20 boards, and there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. For the far side of the tabernacle, westward, you shall make six boards, and you shall also make two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle. And they shall be coupled together at the bottom, and they shall be coupled together at the top by one ring. Thus it shall be for the, um, both of them, and they shall be for the two corners. So there shall be eight boards with their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two sockets under each of the boards. And you shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five uh, bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards on the side of the tabernacle, the far westward side. The middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards from end to end, and you shall overlay the boards with gold. That's an important verse. And make their rings of gold as, as holders for the bars, and shall overlay the bars with gold, and you shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern which you were shown on the mountain." Okay, so these boards, uh, these were the boards that supported uh, the weight of the tabernacle um, that we have already studied. We studied that there was a, a linen level of, of the ceiling, and then there was a, a goat hair uh, tent over that, and then there was a um, uh, ram's skin tent, and then there was a, the top one was the um, badger skin, right? which we saw was like a beaded. Anyway, it's a lot of weight. And these things are what's, what all of that weight of the tent was supported by. And uh, these, these, the support, uh, all these boards were made of wood and gold. And we've seen this before. Does anyone remember where we saw the wood and gold before? The Ark of the Covenant. And who is the Ark of the Covenant? Jesus. So do you guys have an idea about what these boards are going to represent? They're going to represent Jesus, right? And, and the reason why gold and wood represent Jesus is because uh, gold represents God or divinity, and wood represents man, something that comes from earth, okay? So he is man and God, and it's going to support everything about this tabernacle. 
So again, this tabernacle is a place where God is going to meet with his people, where we have relationship with God, and we see that the entire relationship with God is supported by Jesus being God and man. Does anyone know the theological term for God being, for Jesus being God and man? This is like 412 Jesus points if you know it. Hypostatic union, all right. Our resident theologian over here. The hypostatic union. So crazy, but uh, I'm going to give you a church lesson on the hypostatic union today, and you're like, I did not come to church to learn about the hypostatic union or the uh, Chalcedian Creed, but today you're going to, and that's just what you get. So Jesus being God and man is really important for us to understand, to, to, to be able to have a relationship with God for all the grace and all the him paying the price for our sins and all the stuff we get from a relationship with God. It only can take place if Jesus was God and man, not one or the other, and not a weird mix of both, but fully God and fully man. So uh, they in the there was this... Uh, meeting in uh, 451 AD, okay? Um, and I'm going to read this to you. Because, uh, they formulated what has been called the uh, Chalcedian, Chalcedonian Creed, Chalcedonian Creed, which is a statement uh, that kind of sets forth what we believe, what Christians have always believed, and what the Bible teaches about the incarnation, which is Jesus, God becoming man. Um, and... Uh, Let's see, let me just get to the basic things here. Um, there's five main truths that this creed summarizes uh, of biblical teaching, and let me tell you them, these five. Number one, Jesus has two natures. He is God and man. So that's important. Number two, each nature is full and complete. He is fully God, and he is fully man. Number three, each nature remains distinct. Number four, Christ is only one person. This gets confusing because you're like, wait, but he's got two natures, right? Number four, Christ is only one person. Number five, things that are true of only one nature are nonetheless true of the person of Christ. Now, I know that gets really deep. And theologians think about this forever. They, they, they write papers on it. But basically, since Jesus was God, since he was God, he can provide all we need and has limitless resources to give us grace and to shower us with his love. He can supply us with everything we need because he was God. He's not just a person that lived. I, a lot of people in this world, you'll go talk to them and they're like, yeah, I believe Jesus was a guy that was great and he's kind of like Martin Luther King, but way a long time ago. That's not Jesus. He was God. And so in his person, he can provide us with everything we need. But since Jesus was a man, he could be killed. And he could be our substitute for us on the cross. And he could feel our weakness. And he, and he could love us even more and, and provide us with the grace that we need because he knows our need. He doesn't just know it because he's God. He actually has felt the need. And this is why when I'm going through my life and I'm feeling, man, I, I feel a need for God or I don't feel a need for God, what I need to understand is, is that is the place where Jesus meets me. He's saying, I know you either feel me or don't feel me right now. I don't care. I feel what you need. And I can provide what you need. I don't even have to know what I need. Jesus will be it for me. He will provide it for me. In Colossians 2.9, it says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus was God. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In John chapter 1, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt. Anyone know what that word is in Greek? Tabernacled. So he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then to skip to verse 16, and of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. 
So we're seeing Jesus, if he's God and he's man, at the same time, it says he's filled with all the fullness of the Godhead, but it's for us. He is full of grace and truth for us. We have all received grace for grace. He is God's gift to us. He is God's truth for us and God's grace for us. It's just going to get deeper from here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain, obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Jesus says, I know you are weak. I was one of you. I took a human nature and I felt the weakness. I felt the need to sleep in on Saturday mornings. I felt that people ticked me off. People got me upset. I felt it. I felt the temptation of Satan just like you do. I felt it. But I also trusted in my father and he supplied everything that I needed. And so because I love you, I will provide all of your weakness. I will provide for all of your brokenness. I am going to do this for you. We are weak. And if you don't believe you're weak, you're delusional. You think you're a God and not a human. Humans, by definition, are incomplete because we were made to be with God. And we're not right now. We're, we're separated by sin. We've been deceived by the evil cheerleader of the flesh called Satan. And he's like, yeah, you're fine. You don't need God. You don't need his spirit. You don't need him. Uh, just don't worry about the inner cries of incompleteness that come from your heart. Don't worry about that because you can do it. You just, just watch another movie and it'll, it'll, it'll fix you. Just, just get a little bit more into you know, some study or some knowledge, and it will cure you. Satan is wanting to get our minds on anything except for Jesus Christ and his blood, what Jesus did for us. But here we see verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus does more than just show us what is good. He's not something we imitate, oh, he was God and man, so let me try to be God and man. No, Jesus isn't something to imitate. He is actually the provider for our weakness. He is love that, that supplies our hearts with meaning and value and love. He is rich with grace, and he's ready to pour out what we need when we need it. He says, I've, I've made a tabernacle for a reason, and Jesus is the fulfillment of all the foreshadows that we're studying. And my tabernacle is where you find what you need. Jesus and his grace is what we need. Okay, so that's the hypostatic union. Jesus was God and man, so he has this heart that can supply what we need, but also knows what we need. And, and does that all make sense? Okay. Next, we see that these boards are fitted into silver sockets. And this is the, the, the second half of our study today, is, is silver sockets. And this means that the boards never touched the ground, but they were fitted into silver sockets. The only thing that touched the ground was these silver sockets. And does anyone know what silver is the metal of or represents in Bible thinking and, and in the Bible? Anyone know? Redemption. Redemption. So definitely write that down. Redemption is what silver represents in the Bible. When you learn that and you start reading through the Bible, you start reading about people paying silver to redeem someone, you start seeing silver in all kinds of different places and your mind just explodes and you start seeing the glory of Jesus hidden in the word of God. It's kind of amazing. So here we see the board never touched the ground in and of itself, but it, was, it, it only rested on this silver, which represents redemption. 
And redemption is the main theme of this entire book. This entire book of, of Exodus we've seen is about God taking a people that were enslaved and bringing them out of slavery into his promised land. And, and, and that process is called redemption. God fights for them. He leads them. And in fact, the theme verse of the entire book is Exodus chapter 15, verse 13. Look, look at it one time. We've looked at it before, but in the very first sermon in Exodus, which was a year and a half ago, um, we studied what the theme verse is, but we're going to revisit it a little bit. And then when we finish this book in seven years, we'll, um, we'll revisit it again. But look, in Exodus 15, verse 13, it says, You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. Would you see so many amazing um, themes in that one verse? We see mercy. This is the need for redemption. God saw our need and had mercy on us. You know, we didn't have to earn it. We didn't have to, to say, God, would you? No, he saw us and he came after us. Then we see strength. This is the power of the Redeemer where he comes and he takes care of all the business that needs to be taken care of. He pays the price in his, with his strength. And then we see a leading forth. This is the way of redemption. You don't have to ever figure out the way on your own. You just follow him. And that's what we've seen with the people. That's what's talked about in this verse. And then we see where are they led to? It says the holy habitation. The holy habitation. This is the new life that God promises his people. How many of us want to be there today? I want to be in that new, I want to have that holy habitation today. Great. It's promised to you. It's yours. He is going to lead you there, not by your strength, but by his strength, not because you're good, because he's merciful and you don't have to earn any of it. You can stand up today and say, give it to me, Lord, and you have it because it doesn't depend on you. This is his promises, not your that you didn't have to earn it. You didn't have to go to Bible college to earn deliverance. Redemption is a free gift offered to anyone who would believe and trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. You smelling what I'm stepping in? So this silver in the tabernacle is going to teach us that redemption is the foundation of, Remember, these boards are on, so it's the foundation of all relationship with God. The entire tabernacle sits on redemption or silver. And God wants his people to really understand this principle. Okay, so check this out. In Exodus chapter 30, just a few chapters to the, to the right, in verse 13, it says, This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. And this um, is something that God commanded. Every, every male over 20 years old was to pay a half a shekel of silver. And this was called redemption money. Redemption money. And I'm going to make these connections for you so you understand this entire book is about redemption. So these silver sockets is not just this little thing we're pulling out. This is like a huge theme in the entire book this silver was called the redemption fee. It's, it's even called silver. Like, it's a redemption fee. And, and these, these men who came and offered, every single man in, in all of Israel was supposed to come and offer their silver shekel and confess that they deserved to die, but God saved them in his mercy. What kind of attitude is that? Man, that is humble, isn't it? Man, I deserve to die but God, you have saved me in your mercy. And this attitude is what springs forth the entire, what a good relationship with God looks like. It starts and its foundation is redemption. I deserve to die, but God saves me in his mercy. And it was this silver that they paid, these half shekels of silver that each person brought, that silver is what is made into these silver sockets that we're studying today. That's why the connection is there. 
They are made out of these silver sockets. But what if you don't have silver? Let's say you're traveling with the people of Israel and and you've been rescued from Egypt, but you don't have a half a shekel of silver. That is a problem. And you need a friend to help pay for you. What a friend we have in Jesus. East to west, man. That's a good song. Um, You know, if you can't afford to be redeemed, that is a big problem. That's a big problem. And the coolest thing is that none of us can afford to be redeemed. But yet Jesus has come alongside us and said, here, I'll give it to you. You can take mine. That's great stuff. We've been given redemption money. Our half shekel. We didn't even have that. He gave it to us. When we take Christ into our hands by faith, we're taking a half shekel of silver. And instantly our life is redeemed because we present this half shekel to God. And and when he sees someone presenting him something that his son provided, God the Father's response is... Whoa! Oh my gosh! You are accepted! You are beloved! Why? Because you have accepted my beloved. My beloved son. Because you accept him, because you've taken him in what he has supplied into your hands, the Father's response to you will only be acceptance and love. How do I know that? Because that's how he responded to Jesus. I mean, every time he saw Jesus, he would like rip open heaven and say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I love this guy. He's awesome. He's amazing. And when we hear that, isn't there a little part of you that gets a little jealous? Like, I wish he would say that about me. And that's literally our state, our gift, is that God does say that about us when we accept what Christ does for us. Isn't that beautiful? It's tremendous. We present it before him. But only those who have been redeemed by this blood that Jesus paid, that kind of becomes the silver, are truly saved. Not those who say they believe in Jesus. You know, we ask this question. Satan believes in Jesus. The demons believe in Jesus. Why aren't they saved? Because it's not believing that someone exists that saves you. It's faith. And faith looks like surrender. That is the best visual of what faith looks like. Surrender. It's not just believing, but it's trusting. And Satan and the demons do not trust in Jesus, just in case you were wondering. It's like a bridge. You can't... Uh, You can believe that it's going to hold you, but unless you actually engage with the bridge by faith and step onto the bridge, you will never cross the canyon and the hordes of zombies will kill you. Just to get the visual. You got to cross the bridge is what I'm trying to say. Every person in this world must either be redeemed from their sin or die. That's just, that's the the truth about this world. And the only price accepted by a perfectly holy God is this, what what we read in that verse, it was a sanctuary shekel. That means he set the value of it. He's the one who sets the price of what it takes to forgive and redeem men. And the only price he accepts is the blood of a perfect sacrifice, which is a blood of a sacrifice that never sinned, which is the blood of Jesus, who he freely offered to all men in this world. God offered this blood to every single man, but why do so many people reject it? Why? Why would someone say, I don't want God's free gift? Well, it came up with a few reasons. You might be able to come up with more, but pride, people say, I don't need help, and I don't want your help. Okay? That's a, a valid reason why someone may reject this. Some people might be deceived by sin. 
where they say, I like choosing my own life. I like doing what I want, even if it's wrong. I reject the lawmaker so I don't believe I'm accountable to him. I don't believe in his laws, so I can do whatever I want. Does that sound like anyone you know? (laughs) You don't have to name names. Other people might think, well, I didn't know about it. Uh, I think Jesus was just a guy who wanted people to follow him or be nice to each other. And that's just a lack of knowledge about that he offered his blood as a sacrifice for them. Uh, some people might think uh, that uh, some people might think that they um, they're already right with God because of some condition they meet, like I'm an American, or I was born in a Christian family. My dad's the Pope. I didn't think about that before I said it, but you never know. Or how about, how about this condition? Um, I'm a good person. These are all conditions that, that people think, if they, if they somehow meet this condition, that they don't need to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, that last one is probably the one that's sending most people to hell. Because don't get it, millions of people are going to hell right now. And the one condition that they really trust in is, I am not as bad as Hitler. I'm not as bad as Trump. I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. They, they, just, they make up a name and they judge themselves by a standard that God is not using. God is not using Hitler as the standard for who gets into heaven. Although we all agree Hitler's not in heaven. That's not God's standard. I mean, there may be pastors who don't arrive in heaven, not because they were bad, but because they didn't accept the blood of Jesus Christ for them. God is very clear. Only those who personally grab this blood with their own faith can be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. Look what it says. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is rich, overall is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, salvation is never by works or by will. Oh, I want it. I desire it. That's never how salvation works. Do you want to get saved today? That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you want to get saved. I want to go to heaven. Great. I'm sure Satan wants to go to heaven too. But that's not what gets us there. And, and doing good works, I, I don't think any of you really think doing good works will get you to heaven. But a lot of people say, even my desires is what gets me to heaven. Or, or my birth. Or anything we provide. What this says is that the only thing that gets you to heaven is being redeemed by faith. Faith in the price that you grab with your hands of faith. Grasping it. A price that was paid. And what was the price? Blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. We owed a debt. It must be taken care of. And we can't do it. We can't do it. Faith in the kindness and goodness of Jesus The blood he spilt on the cross is our only hope. Amen? Amen. Don't believe the modern way of thinking that that people are just fine, that people are generally good in their hearts, and that's what really matters because it's a lie. The spiritual state of man is death, spiritually bankrupt. And the first thought of our heart is always self followed by rebellion against whatever rules we're restricted by. That's us. That's every person. And the Ten Commandments don't justify us. They point out how much we fail. 
And our only response is either to excuse away, well, I don't believe in those standards, the Ten Commandments are not right, or just silence, just like, I'm going to ignore this all and hope it goes away. Both of those are commonly used in our world. But God, he truly loves men. And so he paid the price for each person to be redeemed. He provided it. Why? In in 2 Samuel 7.23, David is just so excited about this. And he says, And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name and to do um, for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land. He's talking to God right there. Before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. Our God is kind and compassionate and he wants to spread that love throughout the world. He desires all men to taste and see that the Lord is good and that his kindness leads men to repentance. Why does church have the reputation that we are are bothering people with rules, that we are restricting people's joy? The opposite is the truth. Jesus, by being killed on the cross, offers redemption to every single person. And the price paid by Jesus willingly is the foundation of every part of relationship with God. And that's our connection with the the boards and the silver sockets. It, It must be, this foundation must be redemption. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We can never attempt to have a relationship with God based on any other foundation. A foundation of works? Well, I feel good about how I'm performing today, and so me and God were tight, you know? Or, I am really messing up. I've already done 10 things I said I would never do ever again, and it's only 11 o'clock in the morning, and I failed so much, and so me and God obviously are on the outs today. I obviously can't just walk into his presence and receive love and affection and and acceptance because my performance doesn't measure up. And guys, those are lies. That is not true. On either side, you're not accepted by your works, but you're not disaccepted by your works either. You're welcomed into his presence even when you have just, are in the process of screwing up. Come to the throne of grace every moment that you need help, which is every moment. And receive the grace that you need. Say, Lord, I need you. And, and how do we do? We walk in and we're accepted, not with, well, look who's back and look who's screwed up and now you come into my presence, now you want my help? That's not how God responds. God responds with hugs and robes and rings. That's how God responds to a prodigal coming back. And I'm a prodigal almost every day. And God actually enjoys this type of relationship. He loves you. And he is not going to hammer you on your mistakes over and over and over. In fact, he says, I'll discipline you while you're walking away. But once you come back, not a word is said. I'm never going to say a word again. Because all I'm asking for you is to repent. Just turn and agree with me and say, I was wrong. And God says, yeah, no. He says, welcome home. Why are we not spreading this good news like wildfire? Why are we not preaching with every fiber in our being to every person we meet that God loves them and has accepted them in Christ? It's crazy. We can never have a relationship based on works, based on intentions. Well, I intended to do good. I, I, I want, I desire to please God. That doesn't, I don't care. If you desire God, accept God. 
receive what God has done. That's what he's like. He never says those who desire will receive. He says those who humble themselves and accept, believe, will receive what they need. Never have a relationship with God based on logic. (laughs) Because it doesn't make sense that God would accept a sinner like me. And forgive me the millions of times I've done the same thing over and over and over. It doesn't make sense. And the enemy will just say, are you stupid? Are you that illogical? And he is right. And I need to say, I'm going to trust in the word of God, even if it doesn't make sense to me and to my brain. I'm going to believe what Jesus says more than I'm going to believe what makes sense to me. Never have a a foundation of religion. Hey, I go to church and I pray a prayer and I, and I, and I serve and, and I'm a member or I'm baptized. Never have those things be the foundation, the thing you rest upon when you're coming into God's presence. God only accepts one's foundation, and that foundation is silver, which means it's blood. It's blood. That is what he accepts. When we come into his presence, clothed in his blood, you have access to the tabernacle. Everything you will ever need. I know we've gone long enough. We're almost done. I got one more verse. It's Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 15. But Christ came as a high priest of good things to come, and with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So there, he's talking about the tabernacle, right? But he says Christ is the greater and more perfect, and he's the the thing that these things all foreshadow. And it says, verse 12, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal, what? Redemption. The silver, right? For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the, uh, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. When Jesus came to us, he gave his blood to redeem us from sin. Transgressions, right? And that was the foundation of a whole brand new relationship with God based on his blood, not based on our performance anymore. And my question for you guys today, we're going to kind of conclude, how are we going to abide with him or stay in this relationship? How are we going to grow? How are we going to increase in God? How are we going to continue on with God? How do we serve him? Because We've applied this mostly to getting saved, like the moment you get saved. But I bet most of you are already saved. And so how do we now apply this to going on with God or sanctification? And the answer is the exact same way. The blood provides for an abiding house with God, just like it provided for an entrance into that house. The blood is how we stay in. What does that mean? We will quickly feel empty and we're going to feel confused if we have any other foundation for our relationship with God than the blood. We're going to have a broken fellowship with God. We're going to feel like, what have I done wrong? I got saved a little while ago, but now I'm tired. I'm burnt out. I'm broken. I don't understand. I don't feel it anymore. I don't feel like I'm being sanctified. Maybe serving at church has just become a burden. 
Maybe it, knowing the Bible is now what we base our relationship with God on. Hey, I know the answers to every single question, and that's and you know what that leads to? Nothing. Having answers, but you still don't feel the salvation. You don't have the fellowship with God. Maybe you, man, I've just believed for so long. I've believed for a long time. I should be okay with God all the time by now, but I, I just don't feel it all the time. That's not the life God intends for believers. And the whole way that they got off track is their foundation became something besides the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing can create an environment where we are accepted and beloved by God and rejoice in it except for the blood of Jesus Christ. I would rather speak five words about how Jesus has redeemed me than 20,000 words of all that I've done for him. And you're like, we wish you would too. But all that is ever done through our church or through our prayers, or through our Bible studies, or through any ministry, is only through Jesus Christ. And he must be the focus. He must be the foundation. He must be the power. He must receive the glory, the attention. He must be trusted. He can't be forgotten. What are we doing when we don't trust in him? When, when we're not waiting upon him alone to deliver us and build us up, the answer is nothing. We're doing nothing. John 14, 15, verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Amen? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. This silver foundation, guys, that, that we bring the, the half a talent of silver that become this redemption price that was given to us and paid for us. It is so vital to, to maintaining a fresh relationship with God every day. It is not about me. It's about what you did. All my needs are secondary to receiving your blood and taking your blood upon me. All right, I got a quote from Jonathan Edwards, and then we're done. Edwards quote, Edwards quote. This is for you thinkers out there. The redeemed, so the subject of everything we've been talking about today, are dependent on God for all. All that we have. Wisdom, the pardon of sin, deliverance, acceptance in God's favor, grace, holiness, comfort, happiness, eternal life, and glory or life that really matters. We have from God by a mediator. And this mediator is God. He's handing it to us. God not only gives us the mediator, he accepts his mediation and his power and grace bestows to us the things purchased by the mediator. And he is the mediator. Our blessings are what we have by purchase. They were purchased for us. And the purchase is made by God. The blessings are purchased by God. And not only so, but God is the purchaser. Yes, God is both the purchaser and the price. For Christ, who is God, purchased the blessings by offering himself as the price for our salvation. I don't think I understood half of that. <laughs> but I don't care. Because I'm overwhelmed with God's goodness for you and for me. And how can we run to other things when our God is here this morning and we can engage with him, we can be clothed in the blood of Christ for he's offering it freely to every single one of us saying, take it, take it by faith. Believe that I love you this much. And when we believe, 
you have all these blessings. God accepts the mediator. Oh, so good. Guys, we're going to spend some time now worshiping Jesus. Does everyone want to do that? So with one voice, we are going to, we're going to rise. We're going to sing to the Lord. During this time, we have communion available so you can come and you can remind yourself of all that Jesus has done for you. You can partake of it by faith. I don't want you to take this communion by works. This is not a thing you do. This is faith put into action. Believe in the God of communion who wants to tabernacle in communion with you. Engage with him. These last, are we got two songs? Or two songs? Let them, let us just as one group of people, his body, receive his life. And if you got some stuff that you really need to pray on, you know, uh, BK is going to be right there to pray with. I'm going to be in the back. Nathan's right over there. Come find one of us. Paul's right there. Come find one of us to pray with, and, and God will meet those needs. God will give you his grace. Because we're all going to pray by the blood of Jesus, right? With faith. Amen. Father, we want to come before you as one person, your very body, filled with your spirit, Jesus. And we ask that you would deliver us from all temptation. God, that we would love our wives and our children, our husbands, and we would love our friends, that we would be filled with self-sacrifice and not with selfish desires. God, forgive us for so much sin. We could never even recount to you all our sins. We have been born in sin. We have been completely, Lord, just given over to self. And we've been trying so many things to try to fix ourselves. But God, we want to turn and cease from all our striving and instead lift our eyes to heaven, lift our eyes to the Son of God who gave his life for us. And God, we want to grab a hold of it by faith and we want the blood to fall down from your precious body onto our souls and we want to be cleansed and freed. May God ever be praised for your wonderful love. Jesus, may you forever be glorified in our hearts and in this church. Jesus, we offer nothing to you. We need to receive all from you. Give us new hearts that desire nothing but your will, that desire submission, that desire all the good things that you teach us, Lord. Do it all for us, we pray, because we're too weak to do anything of ourselves. We can't free ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. We can't do anything of ourselves. It is all you, Jesus. And if you don't rescue us, we are lost. So now we call upon you, Jesus, to save us, to bring us into your tabernacle, to help us abide there and to to receive all that we need from your living spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.